We're uh, continuing our series, our chiseled series, and uh, how many of you have enjoyed the series just here so far? It's good. At this point, at this point, we are, at this point, we're starting to, to take shape. At this point, it's obvious that something perhaps is beginning to establish itself. Something is beginning to take form. Uh, things are beginning to define, them. we're beginning to define ourselves. We're beginning to define ourselves as believers. We're beginning to define, our, define ourselves as, as sons and as daughters of what it looks like to be someone who is in pursuit and in intimate and meaningful relationship with Christ. We looked at last night at the way that we respond to being told no and how there's a variety of different ways that perhaps that we can respond to that but our response to being told no actually tells more of our perspective on who God is than it does deem him to be whether, whether he you know, seems to love us enough or not. And so these are important things that we've been unpacking we're gonna continue today. We're gonna be looking at this idea of kindness. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn over 2 Samuel. We're gonna be in chapter nine. There's 13 verses there that we're gonna look at and we're looking at the idea of kindness. What does it look like to to be kind. I don't know if you've ever been invited to anything here. You ever been invited to something? I hope so. If not, you can come on over to my place later and now you've been officially invited. Uh, but, but actually don't because it's not that big. But if you've ever been invited to something, it, it, it makes you feel special. You know, like the invitation comes and, and it's addressed to you, uh, you know, and it, it's got, you, you know, your address and your name's on it. And it means that there's, there's someone that's doing something. There's something that's being celebrated. There's, there's something that's taking place. And, and the people that are a part of it have decided to invite you. I feel like there's a difference between being invited to something and being welcomed at something. Everybody knows that they're perhaps welcome to something, but when somebody intentionally takes the time to make invitation, that does something. I tested this theory this week, okay? I tested it this week. I, uh, I was in a coffee shop here in town, and uh, I, I'd gotten my, uh, I've got, I've, uh, uh, my pretzel and mustard. Uh, it's, it's, it's a thing, and it's, it, I don't even, I get off track. This mustard, I'm convinced it's, it's, it's straight from heaven. It's the most, I can't even, I don't, uh, I've lost it. I've totally, I had my pretzel and my mustard and my, and my latte. And, uh, you know, I'd been waiting there just for a, a moment. And uh, I'd had my eye on a seat when I had ordered and I turned around and as happens, it, it was gone. And so now I'm in this awkward, like, 15-year-old Clark Moran high school cafeteria thing going on here all of a sudden. And it's just the thoughts of wedgies and all these other things begin to just, you know, press upon me. And, 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 and all of a sudden, in the midst of this moment, I, I'm looking frantically and I, I, can't, I can't find a place to sit. And there's like this communal table and everybody's kind of sitting and they're having conversations and there's, there's no chairs that I can really, but in this one spot, there was a there's one, there was, there was room in, in one location and I, and I, I didn't, like they didn't acknowledge, like you know in that moment when you're in a busy place and you can see that person like me that's standing there that doesn't know what to do with themselves and you're like, you don't want to make eye contact because then you feel obligated to do something, you know, but you're a better person than I am. But, but in that moment where you, I'm just, I'm looking for some Samaritan, you know, that's going to invite me, you know, to come and, and, I, and I've got nothing. And so there was this one, there's this one little seat in this, like this communal corner and there's these people having conversation. I don't know who they are at all. And so so I just decided that I was awkwardly just going to go over and stand there. <laughs> you know? Because 
why not? It was, it's a Thursday. And so I, I'm standing there and I'm kind of, and I, I, I'm like trying to, like I'm, I'm going to sit, but I'm nervous, you know, like it's really, and then all of a sudden this person looks up from their conversation and says, hey, you can, you can totally sit here. I'm like, I feel awkward. She looks at me, she says, I can tell. I'm like, oh, thank you very much. This is really going well. And so, uh, she, no, no, but please, like you can say, I said, I don't want to, I don't want to eavesdrop, I don't want to be in your conversation. And like, no, 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 please, please sit. And in that moment, I just, I felt invited. And I want you to know that there's some measure of, of kindness that comes with, with an intentional invitation. That, that there, that there's, there's something like in that moment that I was, I was made to feel. I, I knew that I was welcome in the room, but I had somebody from the room that intentionally invited me to, to take a seat. Somebody that, that was willing to move themselves and perhaps make their next few moments a, a, little, a little more difficult, but in order to recognize the, the pain and suffering that I had exposed myself to. There's something about an invitation. There's something about an invitation that just, it does, it's a little more than just feeling welcome. I know that you perhaps all feel welcome here, but I'm wondering how many of you are here this morning because somebody decided to invite you. Well, I, I know that I'm welcome there, but I've never actually been invited in. Second Samuel, chapter nine. Read this incredible story of kindness. Kindness that's extended from David to a man by the name of Mephibosheth, son of Saul. Chapter 9, verse 1, reads as follows. It says, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Anybody know a Ziba out there? Any Zibas with us today? Okay. There was, a, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amal, at Lodabar. Then the, king Dave, then the king David sent out and brought for him the house of Ma- from the house of Machir, the son of Amal, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth and the son, of John- the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage. And he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant. And he said to him, all that belong to Saul and the house I have given to your, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servants, 
so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a younger son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Just to briefly give you the context of this story, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it follows obviously 2 Samuel chapter 8. And in 2 Samuel chapter 8, we have this history of battles that have been won by David. And it would seem to you and I as the reader that following 2 Samuel chapter 8, it would appear to us as we would read it that the kingdom of David has certainly been established now here on earth. There is no question of his rule. There is no question of his reign. There is no question who it is that's in charge. He's renamed the city. He has control. The ark has returned. All things are going well. And in the moment when things are going really well, David doesn't decide that he's just just going to coast, he decides that he's going to keep taking chances. He decides that he's going to keep taking risks. He decides that he's going to push things a little bit further. I think for some of us, that's a leadership lesson that perhaps that we could adopt and adapt ourselves to. That it's not, we don't have time to coast. All of us, things are going pretty well. You know, things are okay right now. Now, that's not the time necessarily just to kick back and put your feet up, but that might be the time to actually step on the gas. See, in this moment, David made a decision. I'm not just going to coast. I'm not just going to sit back right now. Things are going really well. We've got control. We've got the presence. Things are, everything's, everybody's, this is, we're moving forward. This is going, re- but I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to push it one step further. Because back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, we were introduced and we were made aware of this beautiful relationship that existed between David and his best friend, Jonathan. Jonathan, who happened to be the son of Saul. Jonathan, who had invited David to come and sit at that same king's table prior to him being made king as well. See, David had already had the same sort of kindness that in this moment he extends to Mephibosheth. He had the same sort of kindness first extended to him. He's repeating something that's already been done unto him. He's going ahead and kind of telling the story all over again. He's kind of, if you will, he's paying it forward. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, in the place of private, Jonathan and, and, and David come to this covenantal agreement where they make clear to one another that they will have one another's back, that they will defend one another, that they'll hold true to each other, and that they'll make sure one another's family is taken care of. In that moment, David swore to Jonathan that if you were to die, I'll make sure I take care of your family, I'll take care of your kids. When the kingdom's established, just as the Lord has promised, I, I'll make sure, Jonathan, I'll, I'll take care of you. And all of a sudden, now that things are going well, David decides that he's going to make do on that promise that he previously made in private. David could have got away without doing this. Perhaps no one else knew about it. The only person that knew about it was Jonathan, and he was dead. So in this moment where things seem to be going well, in this moment where things seem to be going okay, David decides that he's going to call a few servants and say, hey, I don't know if you guys wouldn't mind just maybe checking your followers and your friends list and can we somehow, I don't know, if we could just kind of, you know, do the whole, figure out, is there any descendant of Saul that still exists? They eventually find this guy, Ziba, who was, who was like right hand to Saul. I mean, Ziba, there's a good chance that he was actually a part of some of the plots and some of the formulating and some of the conspiring and some of the, some of the you know, discussions and, and some of the, 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 the you know, strategical conversations of how to extinguish David. And now Ziba's standing in front of David, and he's making known to David as his request. Yeah, there is, there is a descendant, actually, of Saul. It's a son of, 
It's the son of Jonathan, and his name's Mephibosheth, and he's lame in both of his legs. We know from 2 Samuel chapter 4 in the first few verses that we're told that the, the nanny, the one that was tending to Mephibosheth when he was just a few years of age, actually when he was five years old, was so distraught, was so taken back as was the rest of the kingdom when they found out that Jonathan and Saul had died, that she actually dropped Mephibosheth amidst all the craziness and amidst all the drama and he broke both of his legs and from that day forward he's been lame, crippled and unable to actually tend to her to take care of himself. Ziba kind of slides that detail in very early here in chapter 9 and this sketch of Mephibosheth is beginning to establish itself. Someone that comes from a family that was probably seen to be an enemy of David. Someone who is crippled and so therefore according to that culture and in that day and age would have been ostracized and basically frowned upon by society. And that person is about to be invited to the king's table. I want you to know this morning, church, that kindness always makes room at the table. I'll say it again because I don't know if you're listening. I'll try this side because obviously you're not paying attention. People wonder why I always preach to this side. No offense, just kidding. I'll give you another chance. Kindness always makes room at the table. Do you understand that? That kindness always makes room at the table. Kindness cares less about its own agenda and more about the advancement of others. Kindness cares less about its empire and more about the kingdom. <laughs> I wasn't sure how this was gonna go. No, 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 listen, listen. The word in Hebrew that's used in, in verses one, in verse three, in verse seven, three different times in this scripture, three different times in this chapter, the word kindness is used. And that word in Hebrew, it, 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 it was richer. It was richer than the way that you and I understand kindness. You see, you and I understand kindness, and I think it's like, we, we, we do something, you know, I held open the door, that's kind. Don't get me wrong, that's, that's kind. But sometimes our kindness kind of comes with some measure of selfish motive and gain. You know, like we're quick to buy the boss coffee, but when have you ever bought coffee for? Yeah, okay. And so, you know, we think about these things, like the motive in the kindness. And so this word kindness that's used three different times in chapter nine is the same word that's used to explain and to define God's kindness to humanity. That this word kindness, it, it, it addresses generosity. I want you to know that, that generosity always makes room at the table. That this word kindness, it also, it also embodies mercy and, and gentleness and, and, and all these other things. Like this is such a rich word. This is the same word that is used to describe God love, God's love for you and I as his creation. God's love, the creator's love, the creator's kindness over you and I as creation is the same kindness that David was extending to a cripple. Because kindness always makes room. Kindness doesn't care about traditions. Kindness doesn't care about its agenda. Kindness doesn't care about its empire. Kindness is about others. I want to be a part of a church that is known for its kindness. I want to be a part of a church that is known 
for showing radical generosity and hospitality and mercy and kindness. I want to be the richness of that word. David, David displays his character in this moment of integrity. Integrity being the determination to do what it is that's believed to be right even when there is no one around and nothing compelling the reason to act rightly beyond the sheer rightness of the act. I love that definition. I read it this week. The determination to do what is right and believed to be right even when there is no compelling reason to act rightly beyond the sheer rightness of the act. David made a covenantal promise, a contractual agreement with Jonathan in private. And years later, he hasn't forgotten and he has the moment to act on it publicly. And he asks his friends, is there anybody? They find this man, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is crippled and he's also from this place called Lodabar. Lodabar actually translate, it translates as barren land, okay? That's what Lodabar translates as. The, the, the little translation of Lodabar is barren land. Lodabar was a dark and depressing place. Think of uh, Chilliwack, for example. Just kidding, it's a joke. It's just a, it's just a joke. Stop, it's just a joke. I didn't know so many of you commuted from Chilliwack. My goodness, okay. Just kidding, but it does smell a little bit, right? Like it does, can we just agree with that? Okay. So Mephibosheth is from this place called Lodabar. This dark, barren wasteland of a place. And the king sends someone to invite him out of that place and to the table. <laughs> you see where this is? <laughs> see? The king sends someone and invites this individual, Mephibosheth, personally, crippled, broken, from a bloodline that we would have no reason to connect with, is sent and invited and says, hey, come out of that dry and desert wasteland. Come out of that barren place that you call home. I have a seat at the table that I've prepared for you. This is the gospel, friends. This is the gospel, this is God's kindness. This is foreshadowing to what's to come. I wanna be a part of a church that goes to the dark places. I wanna be a part of a family that goes to the barren land. I wanna be the type of church that reaches our hands towards the crippled and says, hey, I see what you're sitting in. I see what you're standing in. I see what you've been broken to by the things of this world, but I have something better for you yet. I don't want people just to know that they're welcome at the table. I want you to go and get them to the table. This is, and this is huge. This is, this is so, this is so important because for us to really understand in, in the history of this whole thing, Saul's family should have been extinguished. The reason for all the hustle and all the crazy and all the drama that's going on in, in 2 Samuel chapter 4 is because culturally and historically what would happen is after a king had been overthrown, well, there would have been this, it's, it's, 
It's hard to explain, but it's, 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 called, it's called bloodletting is what it's called. And so every son and every grandson, every descendant of the king would have been killed. Every son, every grandson, every, every possible future heir to the throne would have been killed. And so it would have been expected that following David's success, that following David's victory, that following chapter 8, we wouldn't read something like chapter 9 because that doesn't make sense. But you see, David wasn't, wasn't really into traditions. I'm going to go there, okay? Because I think so often what happens is the traditions that we hold so tightly to leads to more tragedy than it does to triumphal entry. Okay, I think sometimes the traditions that we hold so tightly to, they lead to more tragedy than they do to triumphal entry. And so David, he didn't have time for that stuff. He didn't worry about the whole bloodletting thing. He wasn't worried about how many descendants were running around. He, wasn't, he didn't care about how many kids, you know, that, that Saul might have had or whatever else and all these other sorts of things. He, didn't, he, wasn't worried, he wasn't worried about the extinguishing of a generation. He, he was worried about the reckoning of that generation. He wasn't worried about, you know, having and making sure that his throne was secure. He knew who he was secure in. He wasn't worried about any of these other things. And so there was no, listen, because David didn't give in to tradition, there was an, op an opportunity made for Mephibosheth to be triumphant. Listen to me, church. Kindness. Kindness always makes room at the table. Kindness does things that doesn't necessarily make sense. Kindness does things for others without worry of what it is that perhaps you or I might get in return. Kindness leads to repentance. Kindness is a key characteristic that King David carried. He wasn't worried about what every other king had historically done in order to secure their throne but he was more worried about making sure that he fulfilled the promise that he'd previously made in private. Kindness doesn't look to tradition. And kindness doesn't often care how it's seen. For a king to associate himself with a cripple made perhaps even less sense than the fact that he was extending himself to someone that came as a descendant from Saul. In the history of the ancient Near East, this was just, it just, there was just the assumption that something had been said, something had, some sort of darkness, some sort of whatever, some sort of sin, some sort of, there was, there was obvious some sort of, sort of reason for that for that crippling, the reason for that brokenness, the reason for, for that. And that wasn't allowed. That wasn't allowed at the table. I mean, because th th that's not allowed at the table. That's where we, at the table, like we don't. You think about Mephibosheth in that moment when he's approached, when he's invited by someone that's connected to David. 
You think about Mephibosheth in that moment, but on the run, assuming that the bloodletting is coming at some point, on the run in this Warren Baseland, as best as he can because crippled in both of his legs, doing everything that he can to avoid the public eye, and all of a sudden is approached by someone that King David has sent. He's filled with fear as he sets foot in the presence of the king. He's filled with fear and anxiety as David looks over this broken man, son of his best friend Jonathan. He looks over him and he uses his name and he says, Mephibosheth. And with fear and trembling in his voice, he recognizes David as king and his savior and his Lord. And he looks over him. And though culture would tell him that he deserves a certain fate, the king looks over him and says, I want to extend kindness to you. I said, there's people in our world, friends, that are broken. That they're, that they're crippled to the things of this world. And perhaps in your fleshliness and in a moment of weakness, you assume that they discern or deserve a certain fate. But I need you to know that the king looks over them, not judging them for the thing that they're in, not judging them for the addiction that they're still struggling with, not judging them for the anxiety that still plagues them, not judging them for the lament or the ailment or the crippling, but looks over them and says, I'm not here to, I just want to extend kindness to you. <laughs> kindness always makes room at the table. I don't care what color your hair is. I don't care how many tattoos you got. I don't care how low your pants hang down. I don't care if you dress like our senior pastor does or lead pastors do on Sunday morning. I don't care what, I don't care how you look. I don't care how you present yourself. I don't care how I want to extend kindness to you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is kind, merciful, generous. All of those things that that word holds true. We know that Mephibosheth sees himself as worthless. He even asks the king, he says, David, he's like, what, what good do you, like me, I'm, I'm but an, I'm a nobody. Like I'm, I'm a, he, he, re, he calls himself a dog. He's like, I, like I'm, I don't deserve, I, I just, I'm as good as dead. I am but a dead dog. I want you to know that kindness makes room at the table for everyone. That kindness doesn't look to traditions. That kindness doesn't care who it's seen to associate with. And kindness will keep taking chances. That kindness take, takes risks. You see, in this story, we're told following all of this that David goes and, and begins to parcel pieces of his kingdom and land and says, here you go, Mephibosheth, you can have that. And says, I don't deserve any of this. I, I, can't, I can't even steward it. Like, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, King David, but got a little problem here. You know, the legs aren't quite working like they used to, you know. Ever since dad died and that nurse, we fired her. She dropped me and, you know, and so now I got this problem. Like, and you're, so you're giving me all this, but, and this is, this is what's so beautiful is that David says, hey, no, Mephibosheth, don't worry about it. You know that Ziba fella? Yeah, he's got like 15 kids and like 20 servants. So they're going to take care of all the land for you. 
And they're gonna make sure that you have bread every day and they're gonna make sure that everything's taken care of. But every single night, I want you to know that you're invited to sit at my table. That God calls us out of a barren wasteland that in this story, King David recognizes that there was a promise that was made in private, that it's now time to act upon publicly, that now is the time, that now God's doing a new thing and he's doing it now. Okay, so that now is the time. And so David says, okay, he's like, well, here's, we're gonna go and we're gonna pull you out of this. And as I pull you out of this, I, I want you to know that this isn't what I see you as. And, and I know who you are and I know who your dad is and I know who your granddad is for sure. Man, he really had it out for me. And, and I know all that stuff but none of that matters. The history doesn't matter. The, the ailment doesn't matter. The, 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 you know, the, the lack of doesn't, doesn't matter. But I'm, I'm calling you out of this and into this, and I'm gonna restore unto you everything that perhaps this life has taken from you. Come on, church. I'm gonna restore unto you everything that perhaps this life has taken from you. And in your weakness, in your humanity, in your frailty, you don't have what it takes to steward it, but I'm gonna give you someone who can steward it for you so that way you can continue to sit in the place that I've prepared for you. Does this sound familiar to anybody else? This is the gospel. The kindness of God, that for God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus, demoted from heaven, sent to earth, to the barren, desolate, dark corners of Chilliwack. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> the last time. Sent to this place to make known, not only are you welcome, but there is a place that I'm inviting you to that God in his kindness sent his son Jesus to this earth to extend an invitation to you and I as sons and daughters, to extend to you and I an invitation saying, I have a place, there's a table that I've prepared for you and I want you to sit at that with me. That God came down to the barren spaces of this earth and extended himself. Though it didn't make sense. Sinners, screw-ups, huge mistakes. All those things that at times perhaps we see ourselves as and still struggle with unbecoming. He still, though we didn't deserve it, though it probably didn't make sense to the people that were around him, sent his son anyways. And he finds us in that place, broken, crippled, fractured to the things of this world, and says, my desire is to extend kindness over you. I don't see you as lame in both feet. I know that you've been walking with the limp of a memory from years past, but I want you to know that there's a love that's going to move you forward. Extends kindness. And that Mephibosheth wasn't just invited in the front door, but because of the kindness of David and because of the kindness of God, there's room at the table. But God, what could you want with me? I'm but, I mean, I'm just Clark. Like, you know the things I still do and, and the things I 
still say and the, and the, and the places which I still struggle. Like, you know, you know all, all, all the stuff and all the, you know, at times, God, I just feel so lowly. I just, like, who am I? At, at times, I just feel lifeless. At times, I just feel like I got nothing, nothing that I can give. And God says, no, I, you see yourself, you see yourself perhaps as such, but I, I see you as a son. See, I see you as the fulfillment of a promise that I had made to my father. I, I, I see you as the fulfillment of the promise that I made to your father. That you and I are the fulfillment of kindness. That you and I are the byproduct. And that God restores to us everything and then some to the point that we can't even possibly steward it. Like we can't even, but he sends his spirit who helps us, who comes alongside us, who establishes and begins to chisel away and make us into that sketch, that image, that character that God has determined us to become. Church, I need you to hear me this morning. The kindness always makes room at the table. As a church, we're not always going to agree on things. And that's okay. I'm always right, you're wrong. And as long as we understand that, it's gonna be fine. No, don't clap for that. <laughs> oh, you guys must not be from Chilliwack if you're clapping. Listen to me. We're not always going to agree. And there's trivial things like aesthetics and stuff like that. And like, listen, we're not always going to agree as a church, but I will tell you this, we are going to get along. I'll give them a try this time. I'm going to tell you this, and you need to hear me. We might not always agree, but we are going to get along. And we're gonna move forward as a church in kindness that we can respect the years previous. We can respect the shoulders that we stand on. We can respect the histories. We can respect the traditions, but we don't look to those things, but we look forward to the more that God has for us. So we make decisions in light of the fact that there are still crippled, that there are still lame, that there are still people that view themselves as less than God sees them, that you and I have the responsibility not only to welcome, but to invite to the table. Kindness is the way forward, and kindness always makes room at the table. So as a church, I need you to know that that is where we're going, that we're moving forward kindly in the direction that God has called us. And we will continue to move things around We'll continue to do anything and everything that we possibly can to make sure we will we'll do whatever. We'll, we'll move over so that other people can move in. We'll do whatever is needed and necessary to make sure that every single person has a seat at the table. And so listen, for some of us, that might mean letting go of some things. Well, I need to encourage you. Let go, because it was never yours to begin with, so don't put your hands on it. That might mean we gotta let go of a little bit of control, okay? Well, no one, God never called you to control it, so take your hands off it. 
that might mean you, you, you might actually lose your seat. <laughs> you know, in, in someone else moving in, you, you might find a new seat. Well, find a new seat at the table. Kindness doesn't point out, excuse me, that's my seat. No, kindness makes room at the table. We're going to move forward kindly, church. And we're not going to concern ourselves with how it is that we might be seen because the people that we choose to associate with. We're not going to be concerned with the risk of how this may or may not go and how this could all unfold. Well, we give away all this and we do all the control and we do all this. Listen, David, David didn't look to tradition. David didn't, didn't care what other people thought. David was willing to take the chances and he parceled off a large piece of his kingdom and says, that's for you because I need you to know how much I loved your father. I need you to know, church, that we move forward kindly and that becomes, uh, that becomes a, an, an exclamation to the world around us of how much we really do love our Father. Kindness will always, always make room. Kindness is more concerned with the advancement of others than it is about the wellness of itself. Kindness is consumed with the kingdom advancing instead of an empire being established.